Will there ever be bipartisanship in Congress? Spoiler alert, the answer is probably no. And what's critical race theory and why are Republicans so upset about it? Hey girls and guys, I'm Brandy with an I and this is Did You Hear the News? Well, 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 let's get started, shall we? The president continues to work with Republicans in the best way that he can, trying to be bipartisan, trying to reach a deal on infrastructure. And as you recall last week, I told you about how he provided a counteroffer of $1.7 trillion. The Republicans have come back with their counteroffer of I think it's $928 billion, so roughly one half of what the bill currently is, the $1.7 trillion amount. Um, Most of the funds basically come from continuing programs that are already in the works. Basically, they would just give more money to those existing federal programs. They would increase money for roads, bridges, water, infrastructure, passenger and freight rail, water storage, and airports. Um, of the $928 billion, $506 billion would go to roads, bridges, and major projects. $65 billion would go towards broadband. $56 billion would go towards airports. And $98 billion would go towards transit systems. So this is their counter offer for the 1.7 that the uh, Biden administration has currently countered offered. <sighs> Here's the issue. <laughs> Even if we are uh, still going to just give more money to those existing uh, programs, and that's great, yay. There are still many other things um, in the infrastructure plan or the American's job plan that would be covered that the Republicans just don't want to cover. They don't see it as infrastructure. So they're not even working on a way to work those into those their bill. So we're still lacking there. The other thing is, once again, how do we pay for it? The Republicans, once again, don't want to touch that tax plan from 2017. They don't want to tax corporations. They don't want to tax the extremely wealthy. They want to use things like user fees, which would be fees for the average working family. They're also talking about actually using some of the money from the American Rescue Plan. But the Biden administration is like, no, we don't want to do that. Like, we expect for all of that money to be spent so if we then try to funnel it to this infrastructure plan then we'll still have like hospitals and you know other places that that need the aid that are going to be lacking now because you're trying to basically skim the money from that plan to the infrastructure plan it's it's a big hullabaloo i don't even understand why (laughs) We can do okay. I do understand why he continues to try to work with Republicans. Number one, he said, Oh, unity, unity, bipartisanship. And even if the normal average day working person does not 
really give a flim flam how the bill gets passed as long as it gets passed. It's the media and the senators and the congressmen and women who are saying, oh, well, Biden promised this and he's just doing everything without us. Even though, as we saw with the 1-6 Commission, which we'll definitely get to, you give and give and give and the Republicans still are just like, "Mm, that's not good enough. So at this point, of course, Chuck Schumer is like, listen, we're going to get this done, whether you guys are in on it or not. So apparently their committees are going to continue doing what they need to do on the back end um, to make sure that whatever happens with the negotiations, that this bill isn't held up. The point is that they want to actually have a bill put together by next month, which a couple of days and it will actually be June 1st. So they do like their goal is to have a bill together next month. The president's going to continue trying to come together for a bipartisan bill. But once again, there are just some things where it's like, I don't know how you're going to come together. If Republicans are saying that their red line, their hard stop is taxing corporations and wealthy people and the Biden administration is saying full stop, we're not going to put a plan together that calls for taxing working class people then I don't see how we come together like I don't see a a middle ground there it's like one wants to do it one way and the other's like absolutely not and vice versa so we'll keep our eye out on that um listen if the Republicans could come along and the Democrats could give a little, but we would still basically get the goal of the plan together, then absolutely. If the Democrats could drop the price to a certain point, but the Republicans can also give in on certain things like what is infrastructure to them and what programs would actually help for equity among Americans, then sure, absolutely, I would champion that. But which bad faith, all the arguments are bad faith. The Republicans only care about spending when it's not a Republican president in office, totally just shredding the economy and the budget and all of that. So that's the only time they care about spending. And now suddenly it's a huge deal when The president actually wants to use spending to help people, to make it more equitable. You gave your tax cuts in 2017. That only helped the ultra wealthy. Now it's time to do things for the rest of the 99% who did not get anything out of your tax cuts when you spent trillions of dollars on those. I'm going to keep bringing it up so you guys never forget And so next time someone says something to you about, oh, we're spending too much so that you can bring it up to them, how it wasn't an issue in 2017 when taxes were raised on the, well, let me put it straight. Taxes were cut across the board for everyone at first. And then four years later, this year to be exact, taxes are set to go up on those who make like less than $30,000 and continue to stay low for millionaires. That's not a tax cut for everybody. That doesn't work for everybody. So anyways, that's where they are as far as bipartisanship goes with those bills. 
At the same time, President Biden has just gone ahead and dropped his $6 trillion budget. As you can imagine, it already includes those $4 trillion for the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan, which I've talked about already on the show before. So then in addition to those plans that would once again help bring jobs in uh, the form of infrastructure and climate change and would also help, you know, for elder care. And then the American Families Plan that was also seeking to give money to like schools and HBCUs and all those things of that nature. In addition to that, he's looking at like $36.5 billion for Title I schools, which are low-income schools where low-income families go. That makes up like 40% of enrollment to those schools is low-income families. So that would be a plus. $6.5 billion to launch Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health. It's a new program aimed for at driving innovation in health research that will focus initially on diseases like cancer, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. $8.7 billion in discretionary funding for the uh, U.S. Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, which, of course, we need after we saw what happened with COVID. Um, $10.7 billion in discretionary funding in the Department of Health and Human Services. There's a lots of other things here. A increase of more than 14 billion compared to 2021 enacted levels across nearly every agency to tackle climate crisis because we are in a climate crisis. Just a lot of things that would be helpful to the average working person. There's also 1.3 billion in community policing that includes 13.6 million in funds for tax force officer body-worn camera support as part of the $35.3 billion Department of Justice budget. Now, do I think we need to give police more money? Not necessarily. Do I think we need to give them more money for body cameras when a lot of the time they either don't turn them on or don't want to turn in the footage? Not necessarily, but that's what that money is slated to go for. Uh, just uh, just a lot of different things. Of course, $1 billion for Department of Justice and Violence Against Women Act programs which is like double of what was you know enacted in 2021 so he wants to put money in these programs to help other people to help those who have been left behind by tax cuts that occurred in 2017 listen i'm all for it do i think i'm going to agree with everything that's in the bill absolutely not but it's the point is that we are extremely lacking. And, and of course, they'll write headlines and say this is the most we've spent on like the economy or whatever since like two, the World War Two or whatever. And it's like, OK, we're behind. We're absolutely behind. So um, spend it all, especially if it's coming for the corporations and uh, the ultra wealthy. You already know how I feel like. And I'm not saying spend their money. I'm saying Tax them appropriately. Don't allow them to have the loopholes that they have in which they get out of paying certain taxes or their fair share of taxes. I'm just saying they should pay their fair share of taxes just like the rest of us do, just like us brokies have to do. And then it should be used towards helping the economy. I mean, they use the roads. Amazon, I could be on the highway on any given day and see three to five Amazon vans using the highways. They run up and down the highways, but they don't give money towards the infrastructure and keeping the highways 
like up to code. Come on now. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I'm going to continue saying it as long as I have breath in my body. It doesn't make sense. So tax the rich, tax the corporations, tax them fairly, just like all the rest of us are being taxed. Once again, if the Republicans can work with us, whoop dee dee. If they can't, I assume that the Democrats are ready to use budget reconciliation again. If you recall, the parliamentarian uh, a few weeks or months ago actually basically gave them the heads up to kind of use it as much as they wanted to, I think. So they have the option to use reconciliation for this plan as well. Um, of course, you had pushback from senators like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, who, I mean, we'll get to that. But anyway, so we had pushback from them saying, oh, well, we don't want to just keep using budget reconciliation. You know, we're abusing it and this, that, and the third. But at the same time, how do we get anything passed with Republicans who straight up have already said that their united goal is to make sure that President Biden doesn't succeed. And we saw this week how Republicans will do the, what they call it now is the Lucy in Charlie Brown, where you give, you give, you give, and then they snatch the football away as soon as you attempt to kick it. The 1-6 commission couldn't even make it to a vote. And that is just so ridiculously sad and embarrassing, of course. We had an insurrection on 1-6 and Republicans blocked the actual vote to even, even vote on having a commission. They blocked that vote. Now, here's the thing. What was even more embarrassing was that like a... 11 Republicans didn't even like show up for the vote. Like some people didn't show up for the vote. Kirsten Cinema missed the vote. I mean, I can't imagine what she was doing that was so much more important than actually being at a very important vote, but she missed it. Of course, there were other Republican senators that like had just left Washington altogether because, you know, it is a holiday weekend. And it's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Like, it's just, it, it's crazy. So we had, I think, six Republicans who voted for the commission or voted for the vote to vote for, basically. Um, they include Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, I think Lisa Murkowski. And then there was one Republican senator who missed the vote, but he said he would have voted for it. Like, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? If I was getting paid to do a job and I just skipped out and just wasn't even around when it was time to do my job, like I would get fired. But here is one of the most important votes that you knew you were going to vote on in a week or a month and you can't even be there for the vote. It's despicable. What else is despicable is that the mother of fallen Capitol officer Brian Sicknick went to the Capitol. She was um, with a former Congress lady. I forget her name, but she was escorted by her 
Uh, Officer Fanon, which is the officer I mentioned to you multiple times, who got tasered multiple times, who actually had a heart attack that day, who had to plead and say, please, I have kids, like I have a family, to keep from getting killed because he had been tased 13 times, I think. As another officer, uh, uh, African-American male, if I'm not mistaken, he was also there. And they met with senators to beg and plead for them to please support the commission. Like, vote for the vote to have the vote for the commission. And apparently, uh, they say it got a little testy in the meeting. Like, Officer Fanon has been very vocal about what he experienced and how... He feels that like Congress is really BSing when it comes to, you know, them trying to rewrite the events of the day when it comes to them offering support to the officers. I mean, just this week, it was reported that Capitol Hill officers feel like second class citizens. They feel like they don't get the support or respect that they need they feel like even the congress people and the staff treat them like second class citizens in the job so it's very telling that you know these officers come to speak to these senators and it gets a little testy because they are on the edge like how do you whitewash an event and say it was peaceful when this man was tased so many times he had a heart attack He could have died that day. Like, there's video. They apparently watched the video of his attack. You can hear people in the crowd screaming, we got one, we got one. Like, like they captured an officer. What were you going to do with him? Like, nobody knows. If someone in the crowd wouldn't have had a little sympathy and stepped up and helped protect Officer Fanon, who knows what would have happened to him that day. And then you have senators saying it was like a normal tourist visit. Like, give us all a break. And I'm sure that's how Officer Vanone felt when he went in that me- meeting. And I'm sure that's why it probably got a little testy, especially with Senator Ron Johnson, who continues to try to push conspiracies that there were just bad faith actors. And maybe there was some Antifa and BLM mixed in the crowd who actually made things. No, like these were Trump supporters waving Trump flags. Let me tell you something. I don't care enough about causing any kind of hullabaloo to actually wear anything that says Donald Trump or Trump or anything Trump related on it. Like, and I know that that's how Antifa and BLM feel. Like, there's no reason that they would want to go and pretend to be Trump supporters and cause the mayhem and just all-out chaos that happened that day. Ron Johnson, give us a mother effing break. That's probably what Officer Fanon said to him. Either way, they spoke with senators, big, pleaded, showed you know their side of the events that day and as despicable as despicable gets mitch mcconnell addison mitchell mcconnell is going around to the senators begging them to basically block the commission as a personal favor a personal favor. What is so personal about it, Mitch? 
what's so personal about it that them blocking the committee will help you? That's the question I've had. Nobody can answer. Besides the fact that Republicans feel like it's going to bleed over into the 2022 elections and they're going to have to answer for everything. But here's the thing. You should have just taken the commission. The commission was bipartisan. There were going to be the same amount of people on the commission that were appointed by Democrats as Republicans. They were going to be able to pick their own staff. They were going to have to agree on the witnesses. But now you've left it open to Nancy Pelosi putting together a committee or a commission to investigate that can go on for however long because this one was supposed to be wrapped up by December 31st, 2021. But now she can have a commission and she can she can pull subpoena witness anybody who she wants. She can draw it out as long as she wants and then she can put it out whenever she wants. Like you had a chance. You had a chance at bipartisanship. You tried your hardest to tell us it wasn't a bipartisan commission, even though you had Congressman John Catco doing the best that he could to negotiate this plan. And then you just like threw him under the bus violently and said it wasn't a bipartisan commission when he worked so hard based off of what Kevin McCarthy said he wanted to get everything that Kevin McCarthy wanted and you threw him under the bus. So I don't know where we're going to go with the commission. I know that there are other options for a commission. There are other options for the committees to investigate. Do I know if they're going to do that? I don't know. Do I know how it's probably going to go? Yes. Now it's going to be a partisan investigation. And whatever is found, anything that points towards former President Donald Trump, he and the senators and the congressmen and women and his supporters are going to cry, oh, it's a bipartisan witch hunt. I mean, they were going to do that anyway, right? But they're going to do it now especially since they're the Democrats don't need Republican input anymore. They gave them the chance. They didn't take the chance. They don't need it anymore. So they're going to, they're going to cry foul. It's just going to have to be up to us to determine what we want to believe and what we don't want to believe. I think any of us who have clear thinking and critical thinking skills knows that the former president was absolutely the reason that this happened. Even if he didn't mean go to the Capitol and fight today, he's absolutely at fault because he knew what kind of people were following him. He knew if if the FBI is getting counterintelligence about the types of things that were said on the internet, and he's he's the president, so he's getting intelligence briefings every day. He knew. He knew, and he can't just say that he had some kind of extremely specific constitutional free 
First Amendment right to say or do whatever he wanted to because he was the president. I mean, that's the excuse he and his lawyers have tried to use lately. No, he as the president, he doesn't just have blind constitutionally protected speech. That's not how that works. That's not how any of this works. And he doesn't have it. And those of us who have clear minds and critical thinking skills can see that. But unfortunately, when polled, over half of Republicans still think that he's actually the real president. You have people who still think that President Biden is acting in front of green screens. So what can I say? All I can do is hope for better. All I can do is hope for better in a world where Republicans are changing not only the voting laws, but the way that the committees and the roles work in an effort to, if things don't go their way in the next election, they can literally have judges overturn it. Yes, that just happened in Texas, like late at night last night, look into it. So all of this bipartisan talk, I I'm really not here for it. (laughs) It would be one thing if we were dealing with sane Republicans who just happen to have policy disagreements with Democrats. That would be one thing, but we are not. We are no longer dealing with just policy differences. We are dealing with one side who just completely doesn't even care about the fact that a group of people stormed the seat of democracy, wanted to kill them, and supported the last guy. And they want us to forget about it. And they want to pretend like that day wasn't a big deal because they know that it affects them Politically speaking, they know it would affect them in the next election. And instead of actually trying to uphold democracy and actually like uphold laws and all of that, they would rather win elections. They would rather stay in power. And that's what we're dealing with. So at this point, to me, bipartisanship can just fly right out of the window. Speaking of the former guy... I told you last week how (laughs) Letitia James basically announced that she is no longer looking into the Trump organization in a purely civil way. She's looking at them criminally. She's working with Cy Vance's office in the New York uh, Manhattan District Attorney's office. Uh, Cy Vance also announced that he has convened a special grand jury um and once again those who know law and have been prosecutors and and are prosecutors will tell you that you don't really put together a grand jury especially not a special one if you are not building a case against someone once again no charges have been found but we know that at least one person has been told to get ready 
to give their testimony. Now, grand juries usually work in a short amount of time or like they have a set amount of time that they can uh, get together. But a special grand jury can go a little longer. From my understanding, this grand jury is going to meet like three times a week for six months. Um, they're actually going to be calling witnesses. Like I said, in a normal grand jury, you might have like the FBI or district attorney or whatever making the case. But in a special grand jury, they're actually going to have witnesses coming, giving testimony, setting the testimony for the actual trial. It's supposed to be a big deal. I told you last week, I don't celebrate until the cuffs are on. (laughs) I don't celebrate until... I hear the guilty verdict. I don't even celebrate then. I try. I tend to wait to hear what the sentence is going to be until I start celebrating. So I'm not saying that I'm throwing a party. I'm just saying that it looks to be getting super serious for your boy, the former president. His CFO, Alan Weiselberg, his daughter-in-law is with the ish. She is doing interviews hither and thither. I saw her on CNN. I think it was Friday morning. And she basically said, listen, there were things that I wasn't aware of, but I know these people. I was married into that family. That man is shysty. So is his boss. Apparently when she was getting divorced, she found out certain things that she didn't know. Like, The Trump organization will give out raises, but not like in money form. They would basically give like a car or in one point her children's tuition was paid, which she didn't really know about that. She just happened to find out about it. I think around the time that she was getting a divorce from the CFO's son. So they would do things like they would basically give like gifts uh, as raises, which I guess at that point, when you do that, you don't have to necessarily claim it. You're supposed to, but I think it's their way around claiming that money so that taxes can be paid on it. And that is fraudulent. So, um, she basically was like, she did not know that was going on. She found out about it, but she knew that, you know, her former ex-husband had like forged her signature on things stuff like that so i don't know if they're gonna call her as a witness she says she has not yet been contacted to be a witness i think she might be someone who would be good to be a witness once again like i said baby had no problem rolling out that dolly with all that information on it and apparently um her former father-in-law has told her she has about a week to get out of the apartment that she apparently didn't know was owned by the trump organization i guess like so that's another thing i guess they were doing they were like the apartment she lived in was owned by them she didn't know that i'm guessing she was just married to a man with money and she was just like you handle the finances and that's it's all good with me and now she's finding out things that she wasn't aware of so yeah her her former father-in-law told her she has like a week i guess to get out of the apartment that she's currently in best of luck to her i don't know how that's gonna go but i already know that she has not had a problem going on the uh public and national news to give all the information she has on him so wow yeah, I'm, they might be calling her soon to be um, a witness. 
ask me if I'm surprised or I'm shocked about this. No, people with money are the biggest and bestest scammers, especially when it comes to um, fraud and taxes. So no, I'm not surprised. Is this getting serious for the former president? Yes, it is. Could it be serious for his children and anyone else involved? Yes, it is. Do we expect that some of these people are going to flip? Yes, we do. None of them are probably the prison type. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of flippage going on. That's probably going to be seen once people start getting either indicted or charged. You know what? Best of luck to all those folks. Best of luck. That's all I can give them. That's all I got in me, honestly, truly. Best of luck to Donald John Trump. And when I say that, I mean it with not a a lot of uh, love or hope behind it. But listen, what did Monique say? When you do clown stuff, the clown comes back to bite. It is what it is. Speaking of clowns, Marjorie Taylor Greene is back in the news for the worst of things. I might have talked about it last week, but if not, here's just a real quick synopsis. Oh, Marge, Margie, Marge, Marge. Marjorie Taylor Greene peddles in conspiracy theories and untruths. She's not quite all there. We've all come to that conclusion. We should not be surprised when she says anything foolish. But once again, here we are surprised that it could get any worse. Marjorie Taylor Greene was on some sort of a podcast in which she... I don't know if she was asked about, you know, the mask mandate or whatever, but she voiced her displeasure with Nancy Pelosi's rules as far as it comes to mask wearing in the House of Representatives. Um, <laughs> only 75% of the House is vaccinated. And if you know math, follow me along. 100% of Democrats in the House are vaccinated. Only 50% of Republicans in the House are vaccinated or have admitted that they're vaccinated. So that means that only 75% of the House is vaccinated. And therefore, Nancy Pelosi is like, listen, until we get to 100%, y'all got to keep wearing your mask. If you don't like it, get a vaccine. Because once again, the CDC guidance is you can go maskless if you're vaxxed. And that means if 50% of the people are not vaxxed, they should not be going without a mask. But we don't know who, we don't know if these people are really vaxxed and they're just not saying or if they're saying they're not vaxxed to please some weird subset of people nobody knows so at this point everybody has to keep a mask on and the only people that really have an issue with it is the non-vaccinated party q marjorie taylor green who's already been fined her and some of her other colleagues for not wearing a mask so she basically likens wearing a mask or having to wear a mask to the yellow or gold stars that Jews had to wear in the Holocaust. And then she mentioned something about getting on the train and going to concentration camp. Here's the thing. Never 
Let's never compare anything to the Holocaust. Let's not. It's just kind of like, you know, American chattel slavery. We shouldn't be comparing things to that either. But for sure, let's let's not compare anything to the Holocaust. Like, it was a terrible time. Six million Jews were killed. They were sent to gas chambers to die. Like, they were, some of them incinerated. Like, let's not do that. You having to wear a mask as a public health issue is not like someone telling you that you have to go to a concentration camp and then you thinking that you might be going to take a shower and you're gassed to death. Let's just not and say we didn't. Let's just not and say we didn't. But that's what she did. And as you can imagine, there was anger and outrage especially from the Jewish community, rightfully so, especially from those who have family members, who have ancestors, who grandparents passed. Like, these people were upset, and rightfully so. She completely doubled down on what she said, of course, because she's a terrible person. And... As you can imagine, Kevin McCarthy stepped up right away to be like, hey, guys, that was totally wrong of her. She should not have said that. I don't know what's wrong with this crazy cat, but just kidding. No, he did not. He didn't do anything like that. He waited like five or six days before he said anything. And as soon as he put out a statement on Twitter or whatever it was, Somebody retweeted it and called him like a feckless cunt. And she retweeted that and agreed with it. So I maybe it's safe to say she doesn't really care what Kevin McCarthy thinks. And we know that. We know this. Why? Because this lady gets her money from her shenanigans. This is how she fundraised. And... She loves the, she loves when everybody gets upset about her because that's how she gets money because there are a subset of people who are just as silly as her who are willing to give her money for her shenanigans. Now, if you go to her area in which she is um, the representative you might hear from her constituents that you know they're embarrassed that she definitely shouldn't have said that that she was completely wrong in saying that um but they'd still vote for her so this is how we end up with nuts in congress um it just feels like the republican party can their constituents do not care what they do. They can get away with a, a lot of things. And so, yes, yeah, she can continue to be as terrible and as loopy and as nutty as she is. And she can say that Jews are responsible for space lasers and that um, children didn't actually die at Sandy Hook and or... Um, Parkland and people will be like wow that was nuts so but is she still on that ballot because I'm gonna vote for her that's where we are that's where we are and that's why I want to have hope you guys but sometimes I just I just don't I just don't have hope 
However, I am excited about this next conversation I'm going to have. Letty Shoemate is back with me this week and she was on, I think, uh, episode three of the podcast. And I'm so excited to have her here. She's a historian. She knows her ish. She actually has her own podcast, uh, History Tells Us. It used to be Sincerely Letty. And I'm so glad to have her here with me today. So once again, we have friend of the podcast. I feel like I could say that now. Friend yes. of the podcast, Lady Shoemate is here once again. And I definitely wanted to have you here because you are a historian. So like you're a well-versed in how all of this plays into like history and everything that's going on. But I was just kind of floored at how I was seeing things in the news about so many different local officials and state officials banning uh, critical race theory. There are parents that are like, um, you know, protesting it being taught in schools. You have Ohio, Idaho, Tennessee have all banned it. Even the president of the former president, I think, you know, made mention of it and the 1619 Project uh, sometime in his past administration, especially when he uh, wanted, he basically banned any kind of like teaching or like sensitivity trainings or whatnot. So I definitely wanted to discuss this critical race theory and what the big hullabaloo is. So when I looked into it, I saw that basically the theory states that race is a social construct and basically every system that we have in the United States reflects it. And to me, I was like, well, yeah, that, (laughs) you know, that makes sense. But I mean, what makes people get so like terrified and so like up in arms about saying that, yeah, America was founded pretty much on racism and racist systems. Yeah, I mean, for starters, it's uh, it's a threat to the power structure, to the white power structure. It's a threat to, a threat, quote unquote, mm-hmm. to white supremacy. Um, and I'm with you whenever I first learned about critical race theory. I was in graduate school. So this is, it had to have been, 2012-2013, that's number I came across Kimberly Crenshaw. And I was like, oh, word, this is what I've been learning in my history program. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it made sense because that was my, like, that was my foundation to approaching history. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, white people are mad because it would mean that they have to admit their racism and also their anti-blackness. And right. as we've seen, right, that's something they don't want to do. But yeah, and, and you are correct about your, like what you believe like critical race theory is. It's um, technically like a framework that's used to help us understand why there are racial inequities um, that exist in our society as a whole and also in a global context too, and how we can eradicate them, right? And so it's really an academic framework. It's one that's always been used in higher education. But now, you know, people are like, look, children need to be learning this as well, because racist ideas start to form and are taught early on. And it's basically just called critical race theory because it asks you to look critically at systems 
to better understand the origins um, of racial inequities, racism, racist systems. Um, and this knowledge can actually be used to, I would say, mitigate um, and stem the inequities at the root cause. So again, policies, laws, systems, and that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Well, that see, that makes sense. But <laughs> when you hear people argue against it, n- normally not anyone who's like in a higher education standpoint, You like you say, parents or uh, just the normal person, the normal white person that I hear argue against is, is saying things like, well, it's going to teach that they're racist no matter what. And, and I'm just like, now when I first heard it, because I'm like, I don't, I've never heard of critical race theory. So I'm going, no, that's terrible. Why would we want to teach that? Like, mm-hmm. no, we don't want to, you know, teach kids that there's mm-hmm. nothing that they can do. They're just always going to be racist and that's just it. But then I look at the framework and I'm like, how do we get so far mm-hmm. from where something actually is something that's trying to i assume that it's it's well intentioned Mm -hmm. to where we are now where parents are arguing that their kids are being indoctrinated that they're racist and they'll always be racist and there's nothing they can do about Mm -hmm. the fact that they're racist especially when it, it aims to teach to me it feels like personal responsibility yes I was just like, how did we get here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, and you're absolutely right. There are a lot of misconceptions about it. And, of course, you know me. I have, like, something to refute Mm -hmm. those misconceptions. (laughs) Like, that is not true. And, yeah, so what you said about how these parents and teachers, whoever, are afraid of, oh, it's going to make us seem like the bad guys as white people. Mm -hmm. First of all, that's very telling that like you mm, jump to that, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right? Like that's right. very telling that you jump to that. But also it's not even about that. It's about raising awareness to how different races and different groups of people are experiencing the systemic or this this system rather. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. it's a it's an awareness it's it's a need to change the mindsets, but that has always been something that white people were afraid of. They've mm-hmm. always been afraid of what it would mean for their power to be taken away from them, right? right. And so I believe, because I look at the very root of everything, that's mm-hmm. like the foundational root issue. Right. And I even read something that said like, oh, well, it's going to make us look like we're the ones who are um, just basically oppressing these people and we're going to be seen as the bad guys and stop painting all white people as bad. Mm. And I'm just like, so we just want to look at this on an individual lens, not a systemic lens, like systemic lens. That's what this is about. And for me, Brandy, honestly, I get, I get very petty sometimes. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) if you would just read the actual definition Of critical race theory. Just read the definition. But y'all won't even do that. And it's like, I'm like, well, where are you getting your information? Is you're not (laughs) even, even a a quick Wikipedia, once again, Mm -hmm. is so contrary to what you've somehow 
framed, like how you've reframed what it actually is. And it's not a new concept, like it's decades old. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how, how do you look at people constantly saying like, okay, we all know that there are different, different experiences due to race. Mm -hmm. You might want to go to the bank and get a loan as a white person and they'll just a hundred percent believe that you can pay it and you can get it. Mm -hmm. But as a black person, I can be highly qualified, go in for the same loan and I can't get it. Like, right. How, why can't people grasp it? I like, I've never understood like how hard can it be Mm -hmm. to just listen to someone say their experience and grasp it. And it's like, no one's blaming you specifically, but anytime you're on the internet and you talk about some things and you, if you don't say some in front, like if you don't say some white people or like mm-hmm. some, it's it's like, well, wait, I, my family didn't own slaves. What do you mean? I'm not yeah. oppressing you. And it's just like, okay, but are you, can you not look at the ways in which you contribute or you basically game from a Mm -hmm. system that Mm -hmm. is oppressive to people of color like right yeah no I definitely agree and it's so frustrating because I don't even put some in front of white people I'm like (laughs) listen y'all collectively are all part of this like we did not create this system right and that doesn't mean it has nothing to do with the fact that I do not know white people that are out here doing the work, that are out here not being problematic. I do have friends like that. I, right. I'm not saying that. But since you're reaching to that, like mm-hmm. that's that's on you, right? right? And so also to that, what I want to say to people, what I have said before is, but y'all have no issue grouping all, all of us together. Y'all, y'all have no right. issue doing that, right? Like you have exactly. no issue whenever it comes to black people and black on black crime of mm-hmm. e- e- equating us with this, but... Yeah, I mean, and and what you said about the money and the banks, like these are questions that critical race theory addresses, like having an understanding of these systemic inequities. Matter of fact, I was typing earlier a bunch of just questions, and one of them is, let me find it, um, why are houses owned by white people appraised at a value higher than houses mm. owned by black people in the same neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Right? Like these are questions that we need answers to that we know the answers to. Right. But critical race theory, right, would dive into that. But diving into that, right, and examining this would then show the racist laws, the racist policies, and it would require dismantling the system that benefits white people and white people only and white passing people. I'm going to say that. Yeah. Right. Because I I, I love to say Hispanic white passing. Right. Because there's definitely a difference. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that's why I don't say BIPOC very often. Um, I say black, brown, indigenous people of color because Mm -hmm. our experiences are directly different from anyone else's. Right. Like, History shows us that. History shows us how many times you have had people of color who passed for white. I'm not saying mm-hmm. black people didn't also pass for white, because mm-hmm. sure, but let's talk about the history of why we passed for white and right. the assault and the barbaric things that happened to us, but I'm going to get into that here, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But, but once again, even what I just said, 
That's what critical race theory is about examining, getting to the roots of these lies that have been constantly told. Mm -hmm. I just find it, uh, I don't want to say, it's like disappointing, but not surprising. Mm -hmm. Like it's like it's 2021 Mm -hmm. and like this would be the time. This should be the time that we are teaching kids about thinking critically about race. Like it seems like adults would also want to think critically about race. I just it's just Mm -hmm. like and then like you were saying, the the um, house is being appraised. There was just a story. Mm-hmm. A new story, because I've heard other ones, but a story of a lady who got her house appraised and then she took like her pictures and stuff off the wall. She had a white male friend step in as mm-hmm. the house, the homeowner and her, her appraisal went like doubled. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's crazy to me that like white people can see a story like that and just be like, mm, well, that kind of sucks. Yes. And and not even want to look into the reasons through which that happens. They can Mm -hmm. just be like, well, that's not, not my dog, not my dog in that race. Like, that's exactly right. Yeah. Cause they, they see it as this individual issue with, oh, well, and maybe some of them see it this way of, oh, well, it was just that one white person. And I'm like, again, it's this whole, it's the whole system, y'all. It's the whole system. And, it's just honestly, Brandy, frustrating for me because I too have friends and know people who have experienced that very thing. Um, I mean, I've even experienced things with apartments. Um, I also was a homeowner at one point before my recent like separation, but I didn't sign for the house. My husband, and I'm sharing this on here because I, I want people to, to hear this. Um, it is difficult for us as black people to, to have these same privileges, right? And it doesn't mean that's, it doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves. It doesn't mean that we don't save money. It doesn't mean our credit, it doesn't matter often, right? It, it's, it's just that deeply embedded racism. And this is what the system continues to show us. And I just, it baffles me as well, the number of white people that can look at something and say, oh, well, well, you know, these are the same white people that can look at us being shot and killed in the street and they go and they can just be fine. And they're like, oh, well, he shouldn't have resisted. Oh, well, he shouldn't have done this. Oh, well, they should have complied. There's always a but, right? There's mm-hmm. always something in it. You hit this on the head earlier whenever you said responsibility, That is a root problem is responsibility and personal accountability. And I talk about this all the time. Like you, you cannot, you cannot talk about progress and change unless you want to hold yourself accountable, hold your people accountable and take personal responsibility for what you have continued to allow. Right. Right. Because you are also complicit in this system. If you're not saying something or doing something to eradicate the system, to dismantle the system, you're also part of the problem and you're choosing your comfort over anything else. I just feel like if not now, then when? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, once again, you and I are talking on the anniversary of the death of George Floyd, the one year anniversary. 
And it hasn't stopped since then. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to continue to happen. We just heard about the case of the guy who was in, I think it was Louisiana. Ronald Green. Yes, Ronald mm-hmm. Green, who was who passed away in 2019. His family was told that he had gotten in a car accident and had died from, I guess, injuries in the car accident. And then come to find out after the body cam footage has been put out that there was a whole nother incident that happened after the car crash in which they tased him multiple times. And then I saw on the news just this morning that like the lead sheriff deputy or whatever had originally not turned in his body camera footage. Wow. And I'm like, these are the systems yeah, that treat black Americans one way, but white people another. And it's like, you don't want to at least teach your, you don't at least want to teach your children this so they can have some sort of empathy or sympathy or compassion. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Or you don't at least want to learn how there are differences so that you can understand that. Every time you see a black person killed or their civil rights just completely obliterated by police, that you don't want to stop and think, you know, that person could have not done anything against the law. They could have complied. They could have just been going about their normal day. But there's a bias in the minds of a cop and sometimes a system that says this person's up to no good, even if they're just going about their own merry way. Right. And my thing too is even if you don't comply, like you are not the authority on whose life gets taken from this country, from this world, right? right? Like you are not the authority on that, but because this country chooses to see police officers like gods, which is a whole issue whenever it comes to mm. Christianity, but I won't even get there with false idols, but I wanted to put mm. that in here. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I was sitting here as you were saying that, and I was thinking, yeah, because this morning was very heavy for me with mm. thinking about George Floyd and, nine minutes and 29 seconds Mm. that's a long Mm. time like that and you still have people that are they don't even bat an eye about it and i think about history with everything of course but i think about the fact that like whenever you had the nuremberg trials in germany right after the holocaust you did not have the people who committed those atrocities trying the people who committed those atrocities, right. right? Like you didn't have that. You don't have that in, in, in other countries. And we have that here, right? right? We have that here. Like the, the cops investigate themselves. How are you? I'm, and I believe it was Ida B. Wells. Yeah. Who said those who commit the murders write the reports. Yep. And she was so right. And she's in her words still ring true. And again, this is why like people like Ida B. Wells need to be mm-hmm. discussed and taught about in school and not just as a black woman who fought for justice. Like, no, Ida B. Wells, like she risked her actual life, her actual. And there's no telling how much she actually went through and how much she actually endured and the stress that she lived with and the fear that she lived with, but also like the tenacity, right? And the resilience and the strength. But that's why this teaching is necessary because then you can talk about people like Ida B. Wells and what they did. 
I also wanted to talk about the 1619 Project, which I feel like I was even less clear about um, than the critical race theory. From my understanding, it's basically um, this project that the New York Times um, partnered with uh, Hannah Nicole Jones and some other um, journalists. And the basic idea is that slavery actually began in 1619 when those 20 Africans came over and they were believed to be the first uh, slaves. And that that's basically really the focal point in the beginning of the nation and not necessarily uh, 1776, I guess, when we got independence. Yes, that's exactly what it is. I listened to like, the podcast and stuff last year and I remember like reading some of the writers that contributed to the 1619 project, like one of them was um, Brian Stevenson, who mm, wrote okay, just, yeah. just Mercy. Yeah, there's there's like a whole, there's so much that's on there to read. And a lot of them, really all of them are incredible. But they are the things that, quote unquote, ruffle the feathers, right? Yeah. Of these people in this country who do not want to hear the 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 very honest truth and not this whitewashed history. And so, yeah, she basically was saying that like, oh yeah, like the country was actually founded in 1619, not 1776. Like y'all want to just act like those over a hundred years didn't happen. Like there was stuff happening here. Like there were people here who were enslaved and you have this narrative in history of, oh, and they were just indentured servants. And, but the transatlantic slave trade wasn't happening yet. Here's the thing. Okay. Just because something you don't have proof of something, just because you want to feel better because some textbook told you otherwise. Like if you really take time to read what more historians are uncovering and are finding out about those, oh, I don't know what, 180 some years, like there was violence and terror and they wiped out quite a huge group of people. Um, like, I just, like, they were right. whole, t- like, they were enacting terror here. Um, but yeah, she definitely went in on that. And I'm glad that she did. And she did get a lot of backlash from it, especially from the former <laughs> occupant of the White House. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's when I heard about it, but I, I guess I didn't really, because it came out in 2019 mm-hmm. and I didn't, I don't feel like I heard a lot about it then. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened uh, more recently to Spark. I don't know if I think they were starting to like maybe um, integrate it into some curriculums in school. Yeah. You know how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's when, of course, there were more eyes on it. And she did, I did see her on the news and I did see her speak about it. And she was just like, no, that's not it at all. Like, mm-hmm. and just like you said, like we have this whole like what a hundred and fifty, sixty years, yeah, before seventeen seventy six when mm-hmm. we claim is like you know the founding and our independence. But we have these these whole a hundred and fifty, sixty odd years mm-hmm. that we don't talk about, and that's really important because mm-hmm. what was happening, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. It, that's that's the basis of you know when slavery began and 
Mm-hmm. You know, how it probably got its foundations and how it became as big as it was. And it's very, it's very important we talk about it because mm-hmm. once again, it's part of the foundations in which we allowed race and everything else to kind of build upon in all the systems. And then when the slaves were freed, then that's mm-hmm. when we bring in policing to catch slaves. You know, like it's just, yeah, yeah. It's just like how could yeah. we not talk? And it just why is it controversial? I mean, I understand some historians. I think push back on like certain you know accuracies. Fine, I can see that. But to to say that it's controversial to want to include in our history what was happening at that time when the first slaves came, like it doesn't seem all that crazy. Right. And yeah, cause, and now that you say all this, I remember, was it the 1776 report that 45 came out with or some, it was something, (laughs) wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was like a group of people. Yeah. Of course, white people who came out with something to basically like, I can't remember the, I know I talked about it on this podcast before. I can't remember the, the entireties of it, but it was insane pretty much. And yeah. it was, I guess like a counter to that, which I didn't realize until now that you bring it up, that that's probably what it was. And it, once yes. again, more propaganda to make America look like the greatest country and like, just forget all of our original sins, even though we can bring up everyone else's. Forget ours because pish posh. That doesn't matter. Yeah. And that was why I was so frustrated with the 1776 report or whatever it was called because mm-hmm. I was like, so y'all want it. It's, it's pandering to that or not really pandering to catering to that narrative of these wonderful white founders of the country, right? Like, oh, well, these are my heroes. And I'm like, Thomas Jefferson literally rapes Sally Hemings all the time. Like, I just, I'm just, they all. It wasn't a love story. <laughs> it was not. Oh my God, it was not. Like, can you burn Monticello down? Um, like, it was oh. not. And so it's like, once again, trying to take the history and glorify white people with this false narrative that, goes along though with white power and white supremacy. And so that's what it's always been about. And I know people listening may be like, everything's always about white supremacy. Yes, yes. Everything is about white supremacy and racism. Everything. I I cannot tell you how frustrating it is when I see on Twitter (laughs) and everywhere else, someone say, oh, it's always about race with you people. Like, no, it's about race with you people. Right. Yes. It wasn't it wasn't us that stole ourselves and brought ourselves over here and then to justify the treatment of us mm-hmm. created race mm-hmm. to say or all these other ridiculous things like yes. the difference in physical characteristics and all of that, all these reasons to justify being mm-hmm. terrible mm-hmm. and then built it into this it wasn't us. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that actually makes me think about like how people want to talk about patriotism and democracy. And I think of Nicole um, Hannah-Jones and I'm just like, y'all, 
those of you who do not like the 1619 Project, this is the same like anti-democratic thinking, right? It's the same anti-democratic thinking that you've always had whenever it comes to treating everyone like they're a citizen of this country. Like you, you, you actually don't want that. Like what y'all really actually seem to love, um, is tyranny. But anyway, that's a whole other <laughs> conversation, right? <laughs> like you don't actually like democracy, but it's just really, it just upset me whenever I saw what Nicole Hannah Jones is going through. Um, because black women, Historically, we have always, always been punished for speaking up. We've always been punished. And I'm not saying that black men and also other black people have not been as well. But what I, but this is about Nicole Hannah Jones right now. Right. right? And so this is about black women right now and how we have, yeah, discontinuously been treated. And so it's also not lost on me that this is happening in the UNC system. Right. The same UNC system Ugh. where last summer UNC Wilmington had a yes. whole oh. issue with <laughs> Black Lives Matter. Let's not, right? right? And so I'm like, right. oh. And then to look at, right, like these donors who give money to these schools, who give money to UNC Chapel Hill, and how the board of trustees was just upset. I'm sure that y'all were because some of y'all are out here owning land and owning our ancestors. So Ooh. y'all want to mess up to that because we Ta-da can go. <laughs> so. It's like, and then it also just goes to show, right, that as we're talking about this today, May 25th, a year after we watched George Floyd, when many of us watched George Floyd being murdered, you had all these white people and these white corporations and these white institutions wanting to act like they they cared about black people, about our lives. But actually, you don't. You actually don't. It was all performative, okay? Because if you can, in the same breath, act like you care because, oh, we have a diversity and inclusion office on campus. Do you? Because that's also a crock of shit. Because (laughs) Hannah Jones would not be in the situation that she's in right now if you actually cared about inclusion. You, You actually don't. You care about it enough where it does not ruffle your white comfort feathers. That's how far it goes for you. And you also like it enough for any black people and also any brown people that won't do too much to make you uncomfortable. But as soon as they do, as soon as they do something or as soon as some someone's checkbook or whatever won't write you that big check for millions of dollars, you want to pull it because you don't care about us. And so that's part of dismantling this system is also that it comes down to money, which is capitalism, right? Right. So right. like, I just like went off, but like, no, because, because that's, <laughs> that's what drives me crazy because it's like, how can we see it? Like, how can we see all the ways in which race is a part of everything, even when it comes down to capitalism, Yeah, but we can't speak on it. We can't teach it. We can't share our experiences mm-hmm. without someone feeling threatened. Like, what are we to do <laughs> like mm-hmm. at this point? And I really, I really did hate that for Hannah Jones because she is beyond qualified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew it. Everyone knows it. Everyone came out and was like, this is a sham. Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. I, I just, it was disappointing. I was, yeah. I felt really sad for her. I did too. But I was, I did feel good about all the support that I did see for her, but I was like, that's yeah. just, it's a gross misjustice. Mm-hmm. I love saying that. Gross <laughs> misjustice. 
and <laughs> she was done so wrong. And it was just like every time I saw UNC, I was like, oh, this is embarrassing. Like, I know. I'm honestly like, can North Carolina just stop? I just need for y'all please, to just stop. Uh, please, <sighs> give us a break, man. Honestly, give us a break. We honestly. already had our own struggles at UNCW <laughs> with our own racist professors. Yes, we are tired. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah. But yeah, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation though. I really yeah. do appreciate it because I'm just like I was just seeing these articles in the news and I was like, what gives? Mm-hmm. Really? What gives? Like it's yeah. twenty twenty one. Racism is real. It's not gone, no matter if Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Tim Scott say it's not a racist right. country. It is it is we can say that we can say that because when we do admit it we can improve it yes but if we don't we're gonna be stuck here so that was such a good point that's i just want to say that that was a good Mm -hmm. point like we can improve it right and it's like it's it's about getting away from this victim mentality yeah as far as like what white people have right it's like y'all need to just do better um and take accountability no um they're gonna call me racist right white people (sighs) hate being called racist Mm -hmm. more than anything (laughs) like truly they More hate being called racist, then sometimes they hate actually being racist. Exactly. But. Girl, yes. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for having me too here. This has been great. Absolutely. And tell everybody where they can find you because you did change the podcast name. I did. Now my podcast is called History Shows Us. It was called Sincerely Luddy, but now it's History Shows Us. Yes, I love it. I have it. new cover art and everything. <laughs> So, and I also have an Instagram just for my podcast. So it's at History Shows Us Podcast. And you can also follow me at Sincerely.Letty. So follow me there. Awesome. Y'all go follow her, listen to her podcast because she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> Unlike me, who just gets up here and pretends. No, Brandy, you do a wonderful <laughs> job. I love your podcast. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate from you. That's high praise. I yeah, really absolutely. That. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of Did You Hear the News? Be sure to check me out again next week. Same time, same place. 